friends, welcome to another episode of Making Disciples. My name is Chris Rogers and I am your host and I'm so pleased, so pleased that you have uh, given me a bit of your time today. Time is precious, your time is precious. So the fact that you are willing to give it to me to um, share something with you today, I'm, I'm excited by that, so massive thanks. My name is Chris Rogers, I'm your host, church leader, uh, writer, podcaster, creative, make stuff, love making things. And um, in this podcast, the big focus is discipleship. So what we are looking at in these episodes are just things that help build up our discipleship. So some of them are about spiritual formation. Some of them are about biblical rigor. Uh, some of them are about things like evidence for the Christian faith. And that's exactly what this episode is today. We've just done two episodes. I hope you've been tracking. Episode number one was looking at the evidence for Jesus. The fact that there's so much evidence for the life of Jesus outside of the Bible. Uh, the second episode we looked around evidence, uh, we were looking at the Bible. How can you trust the Bible? How do we know the Bible is what was written 2,000 years ago? So off the back of now having the evidence for the life of Jesus and having evidence that the Bible is credible evidence, uh, it's eyewitness account and we can we can agree that uh, there's enough evidence out there to show that actually it is what was written 2,000 years ago. Off the back of that evidence, we now move towards the third thing I want to look at, which is the resurrection. And the resurrection tracks uh, as the next step, really, in, in this evidence debate, uh, partly because you cannot uh, believe uh, in the resurrection if you don't believe that Jesus historically existed and you can't believe in the resurrection if you believe that the Bible isn't credible because that's essentially where we're going to go for most of our meat around this uh, discussion is the evidence found in the New Testament. Um, now one of the things we've been looking at over the last few weeks is different kinds of evidence so we've looked at first-hand evidence, second-hand evidence and we've all talked about something called fallout evidence so uh, first evidence is like eyewitness accounts second evidence is uh, when somebody has seen something that relates to what happened but they weren't there but they see the bruise or they see the effects of what happened and then you have something called fallout evidence and fallout evidence is just the effects of those events happening the change that is seen post that event and uh, one of the things we're going to look at today is what is the fallout evidence as well. So we're going to look at three, uh, three different kinds of evidence, looking at what, what makes the resurrection credible. And we're going to look at what are the arguments against uh, the resurrection. How do we argue against them? What's our argument against them? So that's the plan in this episode. I hope you find it really interesting. The reason we're looking at this is to help you have confidence in our faith, that our faith actually is credible. It's not just there is some floaty idea out there that we all uh, adhere to. Actually, there's, there's historical evidence uh, for what we believe and why we believe it. So friends, let's jump straight into the episode today as we explore the arguments for the resurrection. So let's jump straight in as we talk about arguments for the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 14 to 15 says this and if Christ was not being raised our preaching is useless and so is our faith more than that we are then found to be false witnesses about God but we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead 
but we did not if he didn't raise him in fact the dead are not raised that's paul writing like in other words he's saying look the resurrection didn't happen we're liars and the whole thing doesn't make sense there's no need to follow jesus or no need to believe in the christian faith if the resurrection didn't happen beyond that he you know if the resurrection didn't happen then the whole thing is just simply untrue so the resurrection, friends, falls on the shoulders of two presumptions. The presumptions being that Jesus historically existed and the presumption that the Bible is credible evidence or a historical document that is true. So that what I'm going to argue today falls on those two shoulders, those two pillars that we previously argued. So what is the evidence we can say about the resurrection? So let's just answer this question for a second. What can we all agree on? What can atheists and Christians all agree on? What could a Muslim as well as a Jew agree on about Jesus? So let me just walk through what we can all agree on together. So number one, we can all agree that Jesus was crucified and he was buried. No historian would honestly debate that Jesus didn't exist. And we would agree that he was crucified, that's how he died, and he was buried in a tomb. That, that we can agree on. Other things we can agree on is that if we like it or not, for some reason, we don't know why, but the tomb was empty. At the end of three days, the tomb was empty. Something happened to that body and it was no longer there. So we can all agree on that. There is not a tomb for Jesus. There is not a place to go and visit this, the body of Jesus. The third thing we could agree on, if we like it or not, is that the disciples claim they claim that they saw him if they did or not i'm not discussing that right now but the claim is that they saw him that that's we can agree on that the disciples seem to think something happened the fourth thing we can agree on is this whatever they did see or think they saw it changed them they were not the same after the resurrection as to before the resurrection they were confident people post-resurrection they'd experienced something that physically changed their attitudes behaviors and confidence the fifth thing that we would uh, all agree on is that the disciples died never recanting their faith they refused to recant their faith they refused to say that jesus wasn't lord they refused to say that the resurrection didn't happen so if we like it or not if we think they're deluded or not we can agree that they died never recanting their faith there was not one disciple who turned around and said we made it up we made it up the sixth thing we can agree on is that there is no martyr's tomb there is no tomb that you can visit to visit jesus's body unlike muhammad's tomb in the green dome in medina uh, Buddha's tomb in Pingling in China or Abraham's tomb in Hebron in Jerusalem all tombs that you can visit because they're dead men in a tomb there isn't that for Jesus the closest you've got is the garden tomb of the Holy uh, Garden tomb or the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre uh, is one of the most historic places that you could visit um, but there is no dead body there it's an empty bit of tomb it's a, it's a tomb slab that they claim was the one that jesus was laid on but it is not a, a martyr's grave uh there is nobody there and the church um so the the garden tomb which you can visit in in jerusalem a second location that is claimed to be a possible location actually uh again nobody there but but a tomb so there's two locations that 
depending on which you prefer uh, the argument for which is the place where Jesus was laid so none of this means that it's true it just means that there's minimal claims that we all can agree on so we can agree that he was crucified we can agree that he was buried we can agree uh, agree that the tomb was empty we can agree that the disciples uh, claim to have seen him we can agree that the disciples were changed by whatever this event was and we can agree that there's actually no body anywhere that you can go visit today so that's all the things we can agree on so let's just talk about evidence then for a moment. So you got you got eyewitness accounts, you got second kind of you know the kind of witness accounts where people say, well, actually, uh, I know Jesus existed, and I'd heard rumours about Jesus, but I never actually saw him, but I I recognise that he he exists. Uh, that's the second kind of evidence. Then you got the fallout evidence. I just want to talk about the fallout evidence for a moment. Fallout evidence is the evidence that Jesus rose again, not from any eyewitness accounts, but from the impact of that event. So, for example piece of fallout evidence is the exponential growth of the church the christian church the followers of jesus exponential growth it's claimed that the church grew year on year for the first 300 years at 40 percent a year or every few years it grew by 40 percent okay so there was exponential growth there was something that happened ad 33 that caused exponential growth something suddenly shifted and people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Another bit of evidence for the fallout is that people like um, Constantine uh, converted, Emperor Constantine converted to the Christian faith. Um, converted uh, even though it was not going to be a benefit to him and that he was essentially declaring that he wasn't God. There was a conversion that happened. He came to faith. The Roman Empire became uh, the Christian faith. Uh, that's fallout evidence when an enemy comes to believe something to be true. We've also got the evidence of people like Josephus, who were uh, Roman historians of the Jewish faith, and he wrote in his writings that Jesus appeared to them, uh, spending a third day restored to life. For the prophets of God are fore, uh, foretold these things and thousands other marvels about him. So, you know, people like Josephus, historians, uh, spoke about the life of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. So that's called what we call fallout evidence, but it's not eyewitness accounts. So can we get a better argument for the resurrection? Well, the best thing we can do is argue against uh, all the other theories that are out there. So let me argue against them for a moment. I'm going to argue against five different discussions on what happened to Jesus's body. Number one, one argument was the resurrection didn't happen, but actually Jesus's body was simply stolen. Now, why would you steal a body? You want to steal a body to stop the interest in Jesus. You want to steal a body to blackmail or you want to steal the body because there's money to be made in the theft. OK, there's three reasons for, for uh, the body of Jesus to be stolen. So let's just have a look. Who would have stolen the body? Well, some argue that it was the Romans. The Romans stole the body, put put Jesus on ice in a tomb somewhere uh, because they didn't want a martyr's grave. So the Romans took the body. But the moment the disciples started saying, well, the resurrection has happened. Jesus has risen from the, gra day, uh, from the, from the grave. If you had the body, you were a Roman, you had that body, and you heard this rumour that he had risen, you go, no, no, he hasn't. We've, we've got the body over here. We're going to pull it out and show you the body. You'd parade the dead body around. They didn't do that. They were unable to do that. Who else could have stolen the body? Well, it could have been the Jewish high priests, who, for the same reason the Romans didn't bring out the body, they didn't bring out the body. They didn't want Jesus to rise from the dead. 
it, it broke all of what their understanding was about the Messiah. So we don't want Jesus to raise from the dead, so let's bring out the body. They were unable to do it because they didn't have the body. The third group of people that could have stolen the body, well, that could have been anyone who was just simply wanting to blackmail or cause problems. Uh, but at no point did they blackmail and at no point did they bring out the body to cause any problems. They never at any point revealed themselves to be somebody who stole the body. In fact, there is no one who claimed to have stolen the body. Well, what about the disciples? Did the disciples steal the body? Could they have stolen it? Well, there was a rumour that went around that the disciples were the ones that stole the body. So in Matthew 28 verses 11 to 15, there's a whole conspiracy theory that the Gospel of Matthew mentions. Let me read this to you. While the women were on the way, some of the guards went to the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders, and they devised a plan and gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole, uh, stole his body and away while you were asleep. If these reports get to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So the conspiracy theory that the disciples stole the body is in the Bible. It's mentioned. They make reference to it. What do we know about the disciples? Is it likely that they stole the body? What's really interesting, um, if you go to a crime scene where the two or three people are, uh, have claimed to have been committed a crime and they had committed the crime, some point in the future, one of them usually either recants or changes their story or can't remember the whole story so says something that's slightly different. And one of the things that you do with uh, people who claim to have seen a crime, you separate them out and you're able to go around to say to person number one, well, person number two tells me that you committed the crime. And then they go to person number two saying, well, number one saying that you committed the crime. And what they're able to do is break the minds, essentially, or the hearts of those giving evidence and uh, get somebody to recant the story somewhere down the line. And they desperately were trying to do that with the disciples. So if you look at the disciples, they were beaten, they were killed, and they were boiled, and they were crucified, okay? Uh, they were all attacked for their faith. They were all beaten, and they were abused, and they were challenged to recant, and none of them did. The disciples all headed in different directions. They all headed to different regions to preach the gospel. So they didn't see each other for years upon years upon years, some of them. And they never recanted and they never changed their story. Their stories remained consistent until their deaths. In fact, they died the most graphic deaths, all of them, not recanting their faith. All the disciples ended up in some form or another, either imprisoned or killed because of this commitment that Jesus had risen from the dead. They died themselves with no financial success, uh, no real power. So did the disciples steal the body? Well, if they did, they never recanted. Uh, they never changed their story. Uh, and actually, there was no benefit to them actually dying. Why would they have died for something that they knew was not true? They wouldn't have done it. What was the point dying for something that they you know, ultimately knew hadn't happened? So the body... Um, was claimed to be stolen, but who by? 
nobody ever claimed to have stolen the body. Nobody actually said, well, actually, it was me that stole the body. And what's really interesting is if the body was stolen, it was stolen naked. Because a piece of evidence that we have found within the Gospels is that the gospel, uh, that the um, linen cloths that Jesus were wrapped in were neatly folded in the tomb. The grave clothes were left behind, which is really strange. If you're stealing a body, you wouldn't leave the grave clothes behind. You take the whole thing. In fact, the grave clothes are the most valuable and expensive part of the whole thing. Wrapped within the grave clothes, they used to put coins on the eyes uh, of the individual that had died. Um, so actually, and the oils and the herbs part of the body were the most expensive part of the whole process as, as well, the embalming oils. Therefore, if you're going to steal the body, it's the clothes that you want, not the body. Unless the body is going to be used for blackmail or to stop interest in Jesus. And those things never actually happened. So the grave was empty. The grave clothes were left behind. So the body would have been taken naked. The stone was uh, rolled away. The body of Jesus was never found. The grave uh, had been guarded by Roman centurions and nobody ever claimed to have stolen the body. And recognizing that the presence of the grave clothes is really significant that they were left behind. So do we believe that Jesus uh, had his body stolen? No, the evidence just isn't there for the body being stolen. So what is the second argument then? The second argument could be that he just wasn't dead. He didn't die on the cross. And this is what Muslims really love to hold on to, is that Jesus actually wasn't dead. He didn't really die, so the resurrection didn't actually happen. So let me just read this to you. So this is John 19. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs because he was already dead. They didn't need to. Instead, it says that the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a flow of blood and water. Now, this is really significant. So John is writing something here that we're not entirely sure did John know what he was writing at this point. But but by putting in this detail of blood and water, what we know is he really was dead. When does when do you get blood and water mixed together in that way? It's when you have somebody who has died in a very traumatic way that it's called a circulatory shock. And it brings about two conditions, one where water fills the sac around the heart and the other is where water fills uh, a sac around the lungs. So when you pierce the person, what comes out is water and blood because the sac of water has been burst that has built up. So uh, we know that Jesus was died. The detail in the gospel is that blood and water came out, which tells us he was actually physically dead so was jesus actually still alive when he was buried no the evidence in the story is there for us to see that blood and water came out he was actually in deep shock when he died this description that's in there did john know what he was putting in there we don't know if he knew what he was putting in there uh, did he do it by accident did he do it just because it's what he saw and he was just putting the evidence in there or is it actually that he knew what that was we don't know but he did put it in there. Is it in the oldest manuscripts? Yes, it is. As we go all the way back to those little fragments, it is in there. The second argument I want to give to you about Jesus being dead comes from the Gospel of um, Mark, chapter 15. We're told that uh, Joseph of Arimathea goes to the council and he gets the body of Jesus. 
It says that uh, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that this was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought, brought some linen cloths, took him down from the cross, wrapped him in the linen and placed him in the tomb cut out of the rock. When he rolled a, rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Friends, there's three inconvenient truths about what happens when your heart stops. Number one, you go cold. Number two, you go rigid. And number three, your body pulls blood and bruises. Uh, where um, where you know, essentially your blood stops flowing around your body, so it pulls where the damage is. It's pretty evident you are dead physically. Uh, they handled the body over a period of time, taking him down from the cross, carrying his body and putting it in the tomb. Therefore, they would have noticed his body cooling, his body going rigid, and noticed the pools of blood around his body. So the inconvenient truth is it's pretty evident when somebody has been brutally murdered. Okay, he didn't just die in his sleep. Uh, this argument that maybe he wasn't dead, uh, it, it fails to really appreciate the kind of death that Jesus had had. Okay, so was Jesus dead? Well, the gospel gives us enough evidence to say, actually, the gospels, the eyewitnesses really do believe he was dead and given us credible evidence for that argument. So the third argument then is that actually, okay, well, the body wasn't stolen and the, Jesus actually was dead, but maybe they just were delusional. All of them were delusional. This was mass delusion, okay? Mass delusion. One person can be delusional, two people being delusional, really? Three people being delusional, hang on, what's in the air? What gas is in the air that's causing this mass delusion? There's a lot of evidence for multiples of people seeing Jesus. You've got the Emmaus Road where two people walk with Jesus. You've got the three women that go to the tomb. You've got 11 disciples who saw Jesus. And we're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that 500 people saw him at one time. So mass delusion. Now, if it was a mass delusion, where's the body? Is it still in the grave? Or is it stolen and mass delusion? Because if it's delusion, there's still a body. Okay? So if there, there would need to be two things happening here, delusion and body theft. Because if there's this mass delusion, the Romans would have gone to the tomb and gone, hang on, but the body's still in the tomb. This isn't delusion. So there's multiple occurrences of people seeing the risen Christ, physically saying they'd seen Jesus risen from the grave. And that's disciples, that's the women, it's the wider disciples and it's over 500 individuals. Okay, so there's multiples of people that have claimed to have seen the risen Jesus Christ. So mass delusion doesn't make sense. And now we start to uh, really clutch at straws. So were they fooled by an imposter? Was it that there was somebody that looked like Jesus, not only looked like Jesus, but could do miracles like Jesus? And this imposter claimed to be Jesus. So they were fooled by somebody that looked a little bit like Jesus. And friends, I want to just say that's really, we're now clutching at straws, that there was somebody that looked like Jesus, acted like Jesus, spoke like Jesus, behaved like Jesus so well that not only the disciples were fooled, but the family were fooled as well. So there's no one who turns around and says, hang on, but that's not Jesus. 
that's somebody else. Th this idea of imposter is not found in scripture. That isn't a, a debate that even emerged. There wasn't a debate uh, that this was an imposter. So we're going to strike that one straight out as clutching at straws. Then the fifth one, which is late legend. Now, this is one that does emerge and people do debate. But actually, the Jesus we, we now know is late, is a late legend. So imagine the story of Robin Hood. Robin Hood, uh, but set 2,000 years ago. Robin Hood, we know the there was probably multiple people that made up Robin Hood uh, that became a myth and that myth but there's very little evidence of the actual life of Robin Hood uh, it, it, it's it's a story that kind of emerged and built up over time so is that what happened with Jesus that over time story emerged and suddenly we have a Jesus who is now God and rose from the dead but actually that never actually happened so we know that's not true because they're fragments of scripture that were written less than 100 years after Jesus, telling us the Gospels were already written. Uh, so it was a very early uh, life, if it was. But there's evidence that the disciples and the early disciples had texts documenting Jesus' resurrection. But the other thing that we've got is something called the chain of custody. Now, what is a chain of custody? You go to a crime scene, somebody's been murdered, uh, there's bullet cases on the floor. The bullet cases are evidence. So you would take those evidence and you would put them into your evidence bags and they would then be registered with the police for a particular court case. The court case is a month away or two months away or three months away. You want to know when you get to court that those bullet uh, cases have not been tampered with, that the story around them or the evidence of them haven't been tampered with. So what you need is what's called a chain of custody. You want to know who has had that evidence from beginning through to end, who signed the evidence out and signed the evidence back in. I want to have a good chain of custody. Do we have a good chain of custody for the story of the resurrection? The answer is yes. You've got this for most, many of the disciples. Uh, you've got it for, uh, for Paul as well. But I want to focus on John for a moment, the Apostle John. So Apostle John had two disciples, Ignatius and Polycarp. Ignatius wrote between 7 and 16 books, and Polycarp uh, wrote between 14 and 16 books. Both of these men had disciples, Irenaeus, who wrote 24 books, and Hippolaeus, who wrote roughly uh, 24 books as well. So these guys died somewhere late 280s AD so right the way up to so you know that we've got a copy of the New Testament that's about uh, AD 300 so it's a whole document a whole copy of the New Testament so w we've not only got these little fragments of evidence we've also got a chain of custody we've got a disciple who told a disciple who told a disciple who continued on the chain of custody of the story of the resurrection. So friends, the Gospels don't lead of us with any doubt uh, that God, Jesus claimed to be God and that he did these miracles. There's enough evidence in the fragments uh, of uh, papyrus. We've got a good chain of custody from Jesus's death, resurrection, all the way through to the early church and the church fathers. So there's evidence there uh, 
so we can confidently argue that actually this late legend that Jesus rose from the dead uh, is not a late legend. There was evidence of it before, say, AD 300. Okay, it's good evidence. So Jesus was crucified and buried. We know that to be true. The tomb was empty. Nobody's ever produced the body. The disciples believed they saw the risen Jesus. The disciples were transformed by this alleged resurrection and the observations from it the disciples gave their lives for this resurrection story and days after the resurrection the re resurrection there was exponential growth of christianity in the face of a hostile environment so i would argue there's enough evidence there for us to say actually we're not building the case for the resurrection on one piece of evidence on two bits of evidence but multiples of evidence that all fit together so the argument for the resurrection eventually falls on to the shoulder of one discussion do you believe something supernatural could possibly happen if you cannot believe that anything supernatural could happen you are really going to struggle with the resurrection in light of all the evidence you could look at all of the evidence but if you don't believe in something supernatural then friends you are never going to believe in the resurrection Many people will look at the evidence of Jesus, evidence for the Gospels, evidence uh, for the life of Jesus, evidence from the scriptures of the resurrection. But ultimately, if you don't believe in something supernatural could happen, you will look at the evidence and you'll just check it all out because you just don't believe it, even in the face of the evidence. So I want to end with this. My sixth argument for the resurrection is that it happened. And friends, it didn't just happen, it happens. And I think this is where I get. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus, not because of just the historical evidence, not just because of the eyewitness accounts or the, the witness of the events that happened by others, like people like Josephus, not just because of people like Constantine who came to faith uh, in, in an environment where it was very difficult to be a Christian, it isn't all of that that convinces me. I, I'm convinced in the risen Jesus because I've encountered him in my own life. I've experienced God's transforming power in my life. I've experienced him in answered prayer. I've experienced him uh, in, a, a, in a sense of his presence. I've experienced him turning my life upside down, be at work in my life. Uh, I experience him by the way that he speaks to me through prayer. When I pray, I then see him doing something in other people's lives so i believe in the resurrection i believe it happened and it happens friend c.s lewis says this christianity if false is of no importance and if true it is of intimate infinite infinite importance the only thing it can't be is moderately important so i want to just ask you this if the evidence for the resurrection is there and all of the arguments against the resurrection can be refuted with evidence. And if Jesus really did rise from the dead, this has to have the most utmost importance for your life. My encouragement is to say yes to Jesus and yes to him and his resurrection. Because it's not just about sin management. It's not just about forgiveness of sin. It's about the whole created cosmos being redeemed, restored and rebuilt. And my invitation to you is to say yes to that Jesus. Friends, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I believe in the resurrection and I hope those listening believe in the resurrection. We believe that Jesus changes lives today.
that lives that look dead can come to new life and lord we need that in us we're tired we're weary we're burnt out we're sinners we are addicted to shopping we're addicted to buying we're addicted to making ourselves feel better help us free us restore us redeem us we pray in jesus name all the saints said amen Thank you.